This episode on Foundations for Opportunity, five-time Paralympian, Paralympic gold medalist, and four-time world champion in sledge hockey, Billy Bridges, joins us in studio to discuss growing up with spina bifida, his journey to success, and becoming a role model through the barriers he faces. I'm Lala. It's your boy, Jonas. And I'm Michael. And this is Foundations for Opportunity. You're listening to the Foundations for Opportunity podcast, where we believe that regardless of who you are, where you come from, or what your story is, everyone should have an equal opportunity to succeed in sport. Today we're joined with Billy Bridges, Paralympian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So congratulations on making the 2019-2020 Canadian National Paralympic Hockey Team. What are your feelings and thoughts coming up on the for the national team? I mean, it's my 22nd year on the team, so obviously been around for a long time. I think there's like eight or nine guys on the team now that were not born when I made the team. So it's <laughs> it, it, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, but we have such a new team. It's exciting to be a part of, and they push us to be better. And it's a pretty exciting time to be a part of sledge hockey in Canada. Right. Yeah, you were pretty young, actually, when you when you made the team. Yeah, I was 14. 14. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, just, just a little runt. I mean... <laughs> I didn't really know anything about Paralympic sports until uh, luckily one of my teammates and best friends now, his grandma, saw me skateboarding downtown Guelph when I was like 10 years old. And she ran across the street and I thought she was going to give me crap and get me in trouble, just like I always (laughs) was running into. (laughs) And she started asking me what kind of disabled sports I play. And immediately she's like, hey, you you need to come to play wheelchair basketball and, and sledge hockey and all these things. And she would drive all the way into Guelph to pick me up, to take me to the practices and you know, Brad and I just fell in love with it. And from pushing each other all the time, we kind of both made the team at such a young age. So did she have a connection with the team to get you there? Or you just tried no, out when so, you were 14? Uh, yeah, there was no connection there. But her grandson, she adopted him at a at a very young age, was kind of thrown on her. And, you know, it was really cool. She had a choice to be a 60-year-old woman with a, with a disabled toddler in the house. And she could have just went through the motions. But she tried as hard as she could to make his life amazing and in turn ended up just kind of spreading it to anyone that she could find and she was you know one of the biggest proponents of disabled sports growing up and it was pretty cool to see brad and i would go to junior tournaments at 11 12 years old and score 15 goals in a game and i I think people just kind of started paying attention tell us about the process of trying out and being discovered at such a young age that must have been a lot especially at that age it's funny thinking about it. It was just something we did. Like it, it wasn't that big of a deal to us. We wanted to get a tryout beforehand for the 98 Paralympic Games for Nagano. And of course, we were 13. They, they didn't want anything to do with us. And when we first got our tryouts, Peter Hambly was a coach of ours at the time. And he kept on being a bug in their ear and telling them that we need to come. We need to come. And I remember I was doing wrestling, trying out for an offset team at grade nine. And I was in the 45 kilogram weight category. So I was tiny. I was such a small kid. And we got invited to our first tryouts in uh, Montreal. And my dad on the way there was just telling me, he's like, find the biggest guy and, and, and hit him. Like, just make everyone see that you can play at that level. And I don't know, Brad and I have just such a good connection that whenever we played together, we'd, we'd do pretty good. So I guess left a big enough impression in them that they, they brought us on. 
Can we just backtrack to skateboarding a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> How exactly did that work? Like, did your hands hurt? Like... No, so I, I use crutches. Okay. Oh, wow. And I use crutches all through my childhood. It wasn't until I was older and okay. my hips started disintegrating and legs that I, I started using the chair more. But I would push the skateboard with my crutches. And then when I would do a trick, I would basically kind of hold myself up with one crutch and do the trick. And I was going off stairs and handrails oh, and gosh. everything. I was insane. Yeah. <laughs> what? I can imagine now with social media, the way that could go. Yeah, viral. I wish. I, yeah, we didn't even have obviously like cell phones with cameras or anything. I don't have any pictures of me <sighs> skateboarding or anything. So when I tell my teammates, they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> so going back to just the beginning. So if I pronounce this wrong, I'm sorry, but you were born with spina bifida. Mm -hmm. So that's been your normal life. Can you explain a little bit of that and like tell our audience what that's been like and then getting into sport? Sure. I mean, there's different variations of spina bifida, and I'm definitely one of the extremely lucky ones that I have, I have full feeling in my legs. And most people with spina bifida have hydrocephalus, which is fluid in the brain, which can affect a lot of things neurologically and physically in your body. And I'm lucky to not have that at all. So when I was born, my legs were shaped like question marks, like hooked right around. And I went through about 16 major operations before I was 10. And they corrected all that. And so I could walk with braces and they reattached my hips because I have hip dysplasia, which is like, I don't have a socket. So my hips would just shift. And so right. they put like rods and pins in them and stuff like that. And I mean, it, it was just something I knew. And that's where I feel like I'm lucky compared to a lot of the other guys on my team where they were able-bodied and had something taken away from them by getting into an accident or cancer or something and where they knew different, where we didn't know any different. Like that was just, and like my life got better as I got older, not necessarily the other way around. When you're growing up, at what point did you realize that you were different? Because, you know, as, as kids growing up, I guess we're very aware of our surroundings. Like at what point at time did you realize, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm different and I got to, I got to deal with through different obstacles compared to my peers? Yeah, that's such a good question. Obviously, it was back in the day where there wasn't YouTube videos of sledge hockey and disabled athletes that are doing incredible things. And the only thing that I would see is, is the NHL. And my dad would give me skates for Christmas and my mom gave me a snowboard for Christmas. And I would try to do all these things as hard as I could. And, and you, you know, once my friends started getting older and making double A teams and, and moving on, obviously, I felt very left out. And I think that's where my confusion started as a child and I, and I got into to skateboarding, but, but not just that. I got into a lot of bad crap growing up that was, you know, just a terrible path to be going down. And that's where I, I feel so lucky that I ran into Colleen because she made me know that there's a place where I can feel normal. And once I found those sports, it was great because I could play sledge hockey with my able-bodied dad and my younger able-bodied brother and and we could bring able-bodied friends in and it was all an equal playing field and it, if not it was i was at an advantage because i used my arms all the time and they would jump into a sled and it would be a lot harder for them but it, it was definitely like i didn't find my place until i i ran into colleen there so like take us through the perspective of when you knew you could, you you came to grips with your situation, obviously, and you're saying, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take this, I'm going to make it, spin it into a positive. So take us through the perspective of when you knew that you could be successful in everything that you did and how that felt when you knew it was justified through the results that you had in your sport and outside of it. See, it was, it was much later than making the team. And it was even, it was even later than winning the Paralympic gold medal for the team because mm. we still didn't have that exposure around the world. People didn't know what we were doing and, and didn't understand. I, I went to the 2002 Salt Lake City Paralympic Games 
and came back and got expelled from high school for too many absences. Wow. And yeah, it was what? just, yeah, it was John Take F. Ross. Take us through that. Yeah. That's crazy. It was just when you go to the Paralympic Games, you're you're together for, you know, a week or two in advance to get used to the time zone, elevation, everything and come together as a team. You go to the Paralympic Games, which are usually about two weeks long. And we had let my school know all this and they just didn't understand. Nobody understand. They just thought I skipped school. And mind you, I, w I wasn't the best student. I did miss a lot of school. And but I don't know, that just hurt. Like I thought I would come back to like celebration, A warm welcome, or, yeah, right? like not the, a suspension. Yeah, there, there was uh, two guys in high school from Quebec that came back and were given that whole semester off until they came back from school, given credits for going to the Paralympic Games. And then they're allowed to jump into their classes halfway through and make full credits for that, too. Right. So, like, you know, wow. it, it was just that lack of understanding made it so difficult to to keep going and it, it, it didn't feel like I was a part of anything big because that's how we were kind of made to feel like right. it, it felt it like minimized we it. were a part of something special and and just working as hard as we could to be good athletes and the best that we could and we felt that but you know if, if it wasn't for our family supporting us I don't think we would have continued I feel like in that moment it would have been very difficult to digest that be like I just accomplished a great thing and I'm coming back and there's no real there's no fanfare really in fact I'm being treated differently and you know being being differently able serves as a barrier and you just described one of the ways that most people would like they wouldn't even think that twice like, okay you went and accomplished something you come back people obviously must have treated you with fanfare but you just said that you didn't like tell us about how it felt in the moment it must have felt ostensibly negative but did you spin that into a positive eventually I mean eventually but right. not for a long time <laughs> right. there was just I had a, just a massive chip on my shoulder for, for years, like pretty much since I made it until, I don't know. I don't know when the turning point was. I, I definitely, the Vancouver Paralympic Games was was phenomenal for our sport and for my teammates and myself. You know, we TSN had us on HD live prime time. Our games were all televised and, you know, it was pretty cool. But, I, you know, even even then I remember leading into it, um, I'm not going to say his name, right. um, but I was interviewed before the, the Paralympics after a practice and I was in my gear and we were both on the bench and right before the interview, he looks at me and he goes, yeah, so you're the goalie? Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a center. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, first Olympics? No, like have you, you done like, any yeah, homework guys, whatsoever? I'm the leading scorer in the entire world of this sport. Like, <laughs> have you guys had anything? And that's where the you know that yeah. I just had that chip on my shoulder, yeah. and it made me you know probably a worse teammate, and I don't know, probably wasn't fun to be around because I you know like it, it started extenuating into if someone tried to hold the door for me, I'd go in a different door, and there's you know like mm. I, I just had this like I'm normal, and not only am I normal, but I'm. I'm doing these things that nobody else is doing. Like, why does no one recognize this? And it just, it took so long to finally realize like in my day-to-day -day life, like people are being nice and I do the same thing for everybody else. And finally I got over that and, and Vancouver really helped, you know, propel us into the limelight of, of the athletes that we are. To backtrack a bit, I even remembered after the Vancouver Paralympic Games, we lost three to one against Japan in the semifinals, which was devastating we had never lost to japan before that and then with five seconds left of the bronze medal game and a tied game a shot from the blue line went off my shoulder and up and over our goalie and we lost mm. the bronze medal there and we were so devastated and we took off or i took off with my my girlfriend at the time my wife now and we went to cuba 
And I remember just being at the pool swim up bar and having a beer and and there was this big group of guys there and they they asked me what I do and I told my play sledge hockey and I remember this so vividly and they're like, oh man, did those guys ever like crap the bed at the Paralympics, eh? And I was like, I was part of that team, but that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome that you know that yeah. and that we'd be criticized and recognized Exposure. as Canadian hockey players and you know to be at that level is that was pretty awesome. I think one of the things that our team respects most about you is that you use your position to evoke positive change and then I guess shed light on on your on your disability as well. So throughout your career, in your opinion, how has it provided you with a platform to evoke positive change in the lives of others? You know, I, I, I think that always kind of happened that we influence people, especially people born with my dis or our disabilities and played sports our whole lives. We We never really saw it as you know, I, I hate using the word like inspiration. Like I, I can see how our stories are inspiring and, and, and everything that, that comes along with that. But we never really were aware of, of the change that we were affecting in other people's lives. And that was, again, something that didn't happen until after the Vancouver Paralympics, because we weren't, we weren't in the spotlight. We weren't, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't these uh, outlets, outlets. Yes. To, to be able to, display what we're doing and try to like get into the public's ear and try to inspire people that are newly disabled or, or like growing up disabled or even older and disabled and didn't know that these sports were available to them. And it was something that we, we didn't realize until after um, we started getting that exposure and people started asking questions and how can I get into that? And that's when we really started to notice that we do have a part to play. And I started being Colleen. I, I, every single time I'd pass by someone in a wheelchair, it didn't matter what their age was or crutches, I would, I would try to talk to them and ask them what they do. And a lot of times I wear my championship ring and I would try to say like, hey, like come play sledge hockey. Like it's an amazing sport. It's something to play and you have goals and and things that you can achieve. And And that's where I found that we could be the biggest influence was trying to inspire disabled people to set goals and really to expect the most out of themselves and to try to get, try to enrich their lives a lot more than it currently is. And you give back to the community a ton. I mean, from sledge hockey, corporate team builders, to making appearances at special events like golf tournaments, charity fundraisers, Q&A sessions. You've given speeches at schools as well as other places and participated in mentoring children with disability, connecting extremely well with children of all ages. And it's apparent, above all, you love sharing your story with, with everybody. So how important was it for you to impact the lives of both disabled and able-bodied people in a real and tangible way? One of my most hated things in life is keynote speeches. Mm. I, I hate it. Right. Like, obviously, as a as a full-time Paralympic athlete, we don't really have time to be employed by other things. Right. And the expectations would just be would be too great of, of the time that you would need to spend when you're gone 100-plus days a year playing your sport. And so these events, I mean, the keynote speeches especially, are something that we need to do to be able to, like, fund our, our, our career. But it, it's... It's so difficult. I, I feel like I I never want to be that person that goes up and is like, this is how you're going to be great. These are the three steps to your greatness right. and be inspired by me. And this is me. And like a lot of the stories that I tell are about my teammates and and about Colleen. And most of the time, I just steal my wife's speech. <laughs> and my wife is a three-time Olympian on the women's hockey team. And, and she has such an inspiring speech about being a backup goalie for Olympic gold medals and how she needed to find why that happened and, and what she gave and being the best teammate that you can be. And, and I feel like that really transcends into 
a lot of things that we do in our life, there's there's so many roles that need to be played within every single organization. There, there's there's so many things behind the scenes that that go overlooked, but are equally as important as the person who's hosting the the podcast right. or the person who scores the gold medal winning goal is just as important as the rest of our teammates and everyone behind us. And I so I kind of steal Sammy's speech and I and I give that to people, but I mostly enjoy being able to do one-on-one sessions on the ice with disabled kids and and do one-on-one sessions with their parents as well to kind of reinforce what they're doing, raising their children, because it's got to be so difficult. As a father now of an able-bodied child, I could only imagine what it would be like if she was disabled and you'd probably want to handhold her for everything and, and really try to walk her through life where I got to where I was by just being treated like a, like a normal kid. Like even though I was dragging my feet on the ground, I still had to carry the garbage out. Even though I was on my knees on the counter, I still had to do the dishes. And it was all these things that kind of helped me to be where I am now. So let's talk about your family life for a bit. You brought up your family just now. How, how much does your family provide you with, with an escape and the loving support that everyone so dearly needs? Yeah. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I I just lost my mom uh, a couple months ago, and you you know that was it was kind of something that I I didn't realize until later in life what what she did to help me and and how she she pushed me into those things and I was lucky even though my parents were split my dad would would take me to a lot of hockey practices and you know be that that support role for for all those athletic things that I wanted to chase drive me to tournaments in Quebec and stuff and I really got that feeling of of family support with Brad and his family and. Colleen and, and Jerry, his grandparents, would take me in to live with them a lot and, you know, make me these meals and most importantly would just go way out of their way to make sure that that I felt normal and would take me to all these practices and stuff. And I feel really blessed. I think it was about 13 years ago I started dating Sammy Joe. And just the way that her family has been a support system for her. Her and her brother were both scholarships for for different sports in the states luke was a uh, swimmer that went to texas and sammy went to stanford for throwing javelin and discus and their parents just they must have been overworked and underpaid for all the all the all the driving that they had to do and and she's really helped to instill that in my life and in the sport that i give to other people as well but she's been my rock through everything and understands when i'm gone for 100 days when we have a toddler at home and all by herself and tries to to inspire me just to be better every day and and not just hockey but everything being a father and being there for others like my other teammates and and things like that i'm not sure if you know slapshot diaries actually they considered you and sammy joe to be hockey canada's golden couple that's actually what <laughs> that's actually what they what they they, they they gave you a name of and i was gonna sort of touch on your mom because i know you tweeted back in september after you got named to the the national team and you said that definitely think of thinking of mom today she would always be my first call even two decades in she would be so excited every time so i guess speak to like the fact that she was your biggest fan and like how much she meant to your life and what what exactly she did in terms of i guess making you the man you are today she uh was obviously the lead in in the support for when i'd come back from places like like salt lake city and and all these tournaments where people weren't necessarily watching they weren't live broadcasted on the internet and stuff and you know, it really was fun to to come home to celebrations because my mom was one of 15 kids. My dad is one of nine. And so that we have huge families and, and she really made sure that they were all behind me 100 percent. And if they weren't, she was showing up at their door to make sure that they were watching the game, you know, be it on like 
I think our Salt Lake City games were on A&E at like three in the morning or something. But she made sure that everyone stayed up to watch them. And like I said, every single time I would I would make the team, she would be my first call and was always just so excited. And she was my my support through the whole thing. Can we go back to your wife and how you met your wife? And <laughs> if you want both of you want your daughter to grow up playing hockey. Oh, yeah. oh she hates hockey. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. No. All, all my daughter wants to be is a princess, very <laughs> unicorn. Like we have no idea where it comes from. I don't know, maybe Juilliard's in her future. But so Sammy and I both won the Olympic and Paralympic Games in 2006 in Torino. And Hockey Canada hosts a ring gala. After every single season, they have all of their championship teams, be it the girls or boys under 17 or world juniors or under 22, I think it is for women. And then obviously the men's, women's sledge world championships or Paralympic Games. And luckily we're all brought together to one big giant ring gala. And being raised by two lesbian moms, the women's hockey team was my all-time favorite sporting team of all time. And being able to meet Sammy and, and all them was, was such a dream of mine that I, I never thought I'd uh, be able to accomplish. And, you know, I, I knew my mom in the back of my head was like, you, you got to go meet them. You got to go talk to them. And so I got to meet Sammy and, and a bunch of the girls. Sammy doesn't remember meeting me then, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not too suave or debonair, so <laughs> I get it. But then Sammy got me involved with Right to Play After, which is uh, an amazing charity that gives back to you know, kids in third world countries, trying to inspire them through play to educate themselves to be role models and leaders in their communities. And one of the amazing things that they're doing now is trying to help out a lot of our First Nations communities in Canada and, and try to inspire their youth to expect more of themselves and, and to really push each other and be role models for their entire communities. And so Sammy does a lot of events going up north into these communities to give women, young girls, these outlets of, you know, push themselves to be the best that they can be in hockey and education and everything. And Sammy got me involved with that. And I guess I was just a bug in her ear for long enough that she finally started returning my texts. And we, I think our first date was a uh, Blue Jays game. It was for right to play. It was an event. But yeah, it, so we went to a bunch of sporting events and finally let me give her a hug. There you go. That's romantic. <laughs> I love it. That's so cute. Now, obviously, you've played sports throughout your whole life from wheelchair basketball, sledge hockey. I understand you play some wheelchair tennis mm -hmm. as well. Are you ranked decently in that as well? I did get into the top 100 oh, there it um, is. for wheelchair tennis. Tennis is a whole different animal where you have to. <laughs> I'm used to hockey where your manager books everything. And I know next September at 7 o'clock at night when my game is. And so right. everything's kind of booked. But for tennis, you have to like look at the schedules and book your travel and book your hotels and do everything. like. So it's just it's a massive commitment to those athletes. I commend them. But it's it's such a fun way to cross train. I used to play wheelchair basketball on the national team and that was really good cross training back and forth. But I found tennis was great for obviously hand-eye coordination, but for my anticipation and just overall just staying healthy and, and fast and fit. Yeah, I, I love playing those sports. Sammy got me into throwing. I throw javelin and discus as well, but oh, wow. mm -hmm, no, it's, I, I really believe that you know, to be a good athlete, you need to participate in so many different sports because they all translate into each other and just makes you a better overall athlete. And on top of it, playing sports helps us, helps us build self-confidence and, and foster relationships that are that we wouldn't have otherwise. You spoke about your wife and your mother. Can you speak to some of maybe teammates or coaches that have had an influential impact on your life and the relationships that may have been fostered through sport? 
Mm-hmm. Our first coach, I say our, Brad and I, <laughs> our, our first coach for wheelchair basketball and hockey was Jeff Penner. And he was a paraplegic. I'm not even sure how he got into his accident, but he played wheelchair basketball at the Paralympic Games. And he was the guy that just played every single sport. And for our like training and practices and, and games, he would always just kind of push us so much like an able-bodied coach would. And he was such a cool role model for us because we saw the things that he would do, like, you, you know, grab onto the railing and go downstairs in his wheelchair and, and just do all these things that, he, you know, he was a... I don't know, he was probably a 35-year-old man and he had lived with his disability for so long that he he figured so many things out. And that was a cool thing to see at 11, 12 years old that, you know, there are ways to do everything and to accomplish all the things that we want to do. And he really just pushed us to to not just participate into sports, but to try to achieve excellence. And he was, he was a good role model for those things. Our, our first wheelchair basketball tournament that I had was a World Juniors coached by him. And Patrick Anderson was our, uh, you know, our, our star forward, a junior at the time, but he's, he's the best wheelchair basketball player of all time. He's just absolutely phenomenal. And I remember we were down by one with four seconds left. We were inbounding the ball from the, from their end line. And Pat was near the, the key and he's a tall guy. So he set up for the, uh, the, just the pass in shot for the win, but he got fouled and turned around, but there's no foul called. And um, he ended up getting the ball backwards, hit from behind and threw it behind his back and sunk it. And Whoa. just being, yeah, and just such an inspiration for the rest of my career of these heroics that we could be a part of and how exciting that was to win at that at that moment. And he ended up pushing us to be able to make the Team Ontario Canada Games wheelchair basketball team, which we won almost similarly kind of circumstances in the last dying seconds against Quebec and I remember winning that and just being so floored. I ended up getting a tattoo on my back of the Canada Games logo, and my mom got it too. I was 13. I don't know why I was allowed to get it. Yeah, I thought it was going to be the biggest thing in my life. But he was always pushing us to the next thing. Like if we accomplished something great, he would always ask us what's next. And I thought that that was that was a pretty cool outlook to have to to really try to excel at sports and and not just participate. And so you brought in three medals here. That's amazing. We're going to be taking some pictures for social. Make sure you guys check that out. Tell us about what your favorite Olympics was. You you obviously brought these medals in. You must have some stories. <laughs> I mean, they're all so different. You know, the, the gold happened pretty early in my career. I think I was 21 in 2006. And like, obviously, that, that felt like the be all end all. And, you know, I didn't really understand just how amazing it was to to win a gold medal until 22 years into my career. And I realized how hard they are to get. And also just how many veterans we had on our team that were part of the Lilyhammer games and the Nagano games where they didn't win them and were maybe kind of on their last legs of their career. And to help them be able to have that gold medal to walk away with was, you know, now as an adult, I, I realize how awesome that probably was. And that's what made that special. Sochi was was huge for me after the Vancouver Paralympics of coming in fourth and that heartbreak, having gone to three Paralympic Games and having only one medal and just knowing what it feels like to come home as something. And we we lost against USA in the in the semifinals and how devastating that was and seeing how low my team got and really trying to be that light in the bronze medal game of trying to have all these younger guys on my team understand how big this game is, like how much 
it means to have that medal for the rest of your life and try to try to bring those guys back up from how low I know we all were, but trying to have them understand the importance of being able to have that medal. And really, I'm, I'm most proud about the Pyeongchang Games here. We got the silver medal, but you know, it, it was a turning point in my career. I was always a heavy guy after, obviously, I was really tiny when I made the team. But before those Paralympic Games, I ended up losing about 30 pounds and cut my body fat by three quarters and really just tried to tried to change myself as an athlete. Luckily, I had coaches that pushed me in the right way to try to get the most out of me. And it, they found out, it, for me, it was really about personal relationships and not necessarily that uh, drill sergeant approach work it didn't work for me that would just push me back and that's what other coaches had done in the past and really built that relationship and built me up and I, I felt proud about what I did to get to those games and I scored in the first period of the gold medal game and that held until 27 seconds left USA tied it up and then they won in overtime but it doesn't take away the effort that our whole team put in that year and just the the hours and hours and hours that we all put in training for the entire year before that was you know just an inspiration for me for my career and trying to prolong what I'm doing here now. The routines that I got into for that are now helping me still be a part of this team now. I know you talk about your first gold medal and how in many ways maybe you took it for granted because you thought, hey, I'm yeah. 21, got a gold medal, probably will win one the next time I come around. So in terms of like winning that first gold medal, that first experience of like being at the top of your sport, what was that feeling like? And I know you touched a little bit about it in terms of what your outlook was after winning a gold and not winning one for so many years afterwards. What, what was that feeling like when you finally accomplished your, your dreams? You know, it's different now looking back at it, but definitely going through it, it was the most satisfying feeling in my entire life. Like, obviously, there was pride and, and happiness, but, you know, following every Olympics, there's always a, a lull after you get that little bit of limelight and you come back and family celebrates, but then it's done. And, you know, that's where I started to get confused of like, well, I just won. Like, now what? And I didn't realize back then that life is all about like moving on to the next and trying to make yourself better than you were before and, and better every day. And I didn't understand that for years. And it was, I don't know, it, it was really strange. But at the moment, that feeling of satisfaction of coming back from the Salt Lake City Games with with no medal, coming in as reigning world champions and getting expelled from high school and going through these struggles of identity, basically, and trying to understand why I'm doing it and what makes it worth it. And that's where that's what that goal did. And that's what propelled me into eventually into going further. But yeah, it was such mixed feelings after that, for sure. Right. And you've, you've accomplished so much. And at the end of the day, like, yes, you love what you do, but some days it's harder to wake up and just go back and grind and do that 5 a.m. workout or what have you. So tell our listeners a little bit about like your motivation, that, that fire that burns within you that's inextinguishable. What's your why that keeps you going on those days where it's hard to get out? Well, first of all, as I said before, doing those keynote speeches meant that I could have midday practices, so I didn't have to do the 5 a.m. practices anymore. Hey, hey, that helps the motivation to, uh, to get going. <laughs> nice. I mean, you. I really find that you find different things as you go along in your career that are that inspire you to do more. And, you know, in the past, the inspiration was to be the best, to be the most dominant player that the game has ever seen. And and then once I started getting further in my career and realizing that it takes a more full athlete to be able to contribute both defensively and offensively to, to win, you know, the motivations changed to just trying to get into that routine. I was always the most spontaneous person. Like, 
I don't know. I'd be like, oh, I'll do a workout later and then uh, maybe do one at like 11 o'clock at night or I'll do some something here or like, oh, hey, you want to go out and do something now? And yeah, of course. And I, I still have that spontaneity, but I found that to be the best athlete that I could be was was about the routine. And as boring as that sounds, that was my motivating factor of of setting down the schedule and the timeline and going through those motions. That One thing that we're doing now with our team is we have to wear oops, my heart rate monitor still on. We have to wear a heart rate monitor for every single workout and nice time that we do. And it's all recorded and we record and log all of all the stuff that we do. And at the end of the week, our compliance is shown to the rest of our teammates. So like, did you follow the plan exactly or did you not? And that devastating feeling of, of having missed a couple and your percentage is low and you know that you've let down your team. And and that's what it's all about now these days. And that's what I think it should be about when you're part of a team sport is being accountable to everybody around you. And being motivated to to be the best that you can be, and not just for yourself, but to inspire the rest of your teammates to be like, well, if like he's hundred percent, like why am I not hundred percent? And how much better could you be if you were? And and that's what I've kind of grown into as I get older. And obviously, having a three year old daughter and trying to be yep. an inspiration for her and a role model for her definitely helps when you're at the lowest of the lows. Because even when you're an Olympian and married and have kids and everything seems to be going great i i still have depression it's a chemical imbalance in my head it's not like i'm sad but it affects my my motivation and my my indulgences and my uh you know just the snap things of grabbing food or just all the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about but a normal person would it makes me kind of know like oh, i shouldn't do that like kenzie's watching like i, I need to be better so you brought up before about your high school experience and how you went to the Olympics and then you came back and you were expelled. Now, I went to a high school that was sports specific. I'm not sure if you heard oh, about cool. me and Bill Crothers yeah. and Bianca Andrescu went there. Mm -hmm. She actually took so many online courses. We never saw her around <laughs> because she was always traveling for sport. And then I saw on your Twitter that you went to support her. You're, you're in Mississauga right now. She had at Championship Square, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. She had something when she came back. Did you take your daughter to that and your family? And how did that feel for you to have a young daughter and see such success in women's sports? Yeah, I mean, we try to get Kenzie to watch a lot of these women's sporting events and like my wife is a part of uh, or we both are a part of a charity called She Is and and Fast and Female and I feel like it's so important to have our daughters being raised with these role models of such ah, just excellence like and that's why I'm just I'm always in awe of of what Sammy's accomplished and I'm proud to have Kenzie have her as a as a mom and a role model and Stanford mechanical engineer fighting like bucking the trend and playing hockey when girls didn't like when she first signed up for hockey her dad wrote down Sam Small and that's why they accepted her and then when she got there they're like oh this is a girl like she can't be here and girls weren't allowed to play hockey back then and she was just like so driven just with everything that she does in life and that's how I feel our daughters should be and and that's what's that's what's such a mental battle right now with my my wife and I because our daughter just wants to wear dresses and be a princess <laughs> and we're trying to be like yeah well you can be a princess scientist or like a princess doctor <laughs> right. or we're trying to throw these things in and and I think she'll you know obviously she'll get it she's just a toddler right now but it, it's it's so funny to see just kind of where she is just on her own and I don't know I I feel like there's just such inspiring women in sports these days. Obviously, there probably was all along and, and they just weren't front and center 
on the media. Like it's still so disappointing to me when Bianca is at the WTA finals and that's not being shown, but a Rolex Masters <laughs> men's is. And I really feel like our media needs to get behind our women athletes and and show the women's hockey games and show the the women's field hockey games and obviously more sports than hockey but <laughs> you know right. you know we have such incredible athletes that that need to be out there and i feel like that was one of the most disappointing things that i felt about that vote that went on in calgary to try to make a bid for the olympics was i really feel like people didn't understand that it's bigger than just hosting an olympic games that it puts all of those sports in our time zone in our country, with all the focus on it, that our, our children, our boys and girls can look at these role models and be inspired. But now the Olympics are going to go back to Europe or Asia, where all of these sports are taking place during the night, when I can't keep my daughter up till midnight right. to watch uh, my hockey game. Like My next Paralympic Games are in Beijing. She's not going to watch them. Or maybe she'll watch them on PVR later right. or something, but the general public isn't. And that's where I feel the most disappointed was that we had this this opportunity to inspire our youth that are addicted to phones and right. video games and, and all these platforms. And I am too, like I get it. But you need to have that balance. And I feel like having those sports shown primetime, men and women, all these different right. sports right. Um, and not just the NHL and not just the NBA the and core four sports, MLB yeah. that are really unattainable to what the 99% of, of Canadians. Right. I want to show that there's so many more outlets that can give you a Div 1 scholarship or can bring you around the world. I'm a, I'm a disabled athlete that's been to over 40 countries in the world for three different sports and just how, how awesome that has been and how lucky I've been to be a part of that. But I was the lucky one that had someone come get me and someone to find me and these people need to to find the sport and to see the sport and and to be inspired by these these role models and these athletes so i know you talk a lot about opportunity and i know you talk about the story of colleen coming up to you and shedding light on some of the opportunities available to you and you've sort of turned into a colleen yourself and whenever you meet any child or, or a teenager that's disabled, you ask them, you know, there's there is so many opportunities for you to play sports because I guess you know the power of sports and what it can bring. Going into the future, what type of changes would you want to see for those who follow in the footsteps for for opportunities like the, like the ones that you had when you started off in hockey and basketball and in tennis? Obviously, more media coverage is great. I I, I feel like there's there's so many great organizations in place these days that are, that are doing such an incredible job. Obviously, Hockey Canada is doing a great job of promoting sledge hockey. There's the Mississauga Cruisers. I don't know if they're Mississauga anymore, but they they have so many sports in the GTA that are available to everybody, and they, they really do help people get into it. And, you know, back in the day, we used to have our manager, Peter Hambly, we used to make fun of him and call him an ambulance chaser because he would, he would literally look on the local news around the Kitchener area and he would find these stories about people who had lost limbs or something, and he would actually go right in and talk to them. And in those footsteps, I'd obviously tried to do the same. I'd tried to make a lot of hospital visits to shed light on on what's available for people. And it was kind of, I don't want to say funny, but I went to visit Ryan Strasnitsky when he was in, obviously, the, the hockey player on the Humboldt bus. And I went to visit him at the hospital in Calgary to not just tell him about hockey, but all the other sports that I had played that are, are so inclusive that have different classifications to every disability is needed to win. Like 
wheelchair basketball needs amputees and they need paraplegics and everyone in between to be able to go because you can't have five amputees on the on the court at once and a lot of sports are like that and when I went to visit him he was just like well yeah of course I'm going to play sledge hockey like <laughs> and he already knew about it and he already knew he was going to play it and I think he was quoted in saying he's going to get to the Paralympics for it and and I just thought that that was so cool that a teenage hockey player in his lowest point of his life already knew about our sport and was already inspired about it. And I've since played with them and, and seen them play and grow. And, you know, it's pretty awesome that our, our sport and our society is at a point now where people are already aware of these things and inspired to do them when these terrible circumstances do happen. That's the thing is the exposure that you're talking about. That is the opportunity that really needs to be highlighted. It breeds not only inspiration, but also tolerance. And people can be exposed to things that aren't necessarily, they wouldn't be privy to otherwise. And I think it's really important to penetrate those echo chambers. But we just wanted to thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's been absolutely phenomenal to have you on. Just tell us one more time where we can find you. You mentioned the charity that you work with. This is your chance to go ahead and uh, plug where you can find any of your work or people that are maybe disabled. Tell them where they can go as well. Oh. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a part, I'm a right to play ambassador. Um, they're an amazing charity to give to and, and not just give to, but to volunteer with and, and to be a part of. They have a lot of workshops where they educate people as to the changes that they can do and how everybody can help in Canada. And that, that it's not just within that organization that can make a difference, that it's everybody that's out there. I mean, we have a Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup coming up at the beginning of December in Paradise, Newfoundland. Hopefully, if we make the, the gold medal game, it'll be televised on TSN Saturday, December 8th, I believe. Something awesome to watch. But if you if you know anyone that's disabled or you, or you pass by anybody, I, I feel like it's it's important that we we ask the questions. I, one of the things that Theo Fleury was talking about was erasing the stigma behind mental health issues and not being afraid to talk about it and bring it up. And I felt inspired today to also do the same, to not feel that stigma around other disabled people to that, like, oh, they might feel like I'm taking pity on them or something. It's important to ask the questions. You know, I tell my daughter to go and ask a disabled person what their disability is because she's curious. And I feel like it's important that we know, but it's also important to know that anyone that that is freshly disabled or was born with it or is old with a disability, that we still need to set goals and be physically fit. And the disabled sports across Canada just are so incredible to play. And there's, there's organizations and outlets for any sport that you could possibly imagine. And, and I encourage anyone just to Google in their local area what their sport organizations are because they're there. They're there from Saskatchewan to Prince Edward Island. Like I, I know they're there. I've been to so many of them. And it's important to go and participate and play, but to goal set and try to excel at them as well. Well, wise words from a wise man. So, so thank you so much for joining us <laughs> today you. on Foundations for Opportunity, Billy. Thanks for having me. That has been the extraordinary Billy Bridges, everybody. That was Billy Bridges, and I'm just feeling so inspired. That was a great conversation we had. He was really like going back to Colleen, you know, sometimes we all need that one person that is that like opens the door for us into seeing that there's so many opportunities and possibilities for us. I absolutely couldn't believe the way that he came back after Salt Lake and then ended up getting getting suspended, expelled, expelled from school. And he's sitting there being like, what? Like, I just came back from like playing for the country and as opposed to being like, hey, good job. Like, welcome back. Let's find ways. Like he said, the Olympians had ways to go make up for it. He's getting expelled in the meantime. Uh, I couldn't believe that. Also, 
I'm so happy you listened to our other podcast, yes. the Theo Flurry podcast. Yeah, that that was amazing, and I think uh, him as a father, I think he sort of spoke about some of the some of the values that he wants to instill in his daughter. I thought that was that was amazing in terms of bringing his daughter like to the Bianca Andrescu parade at, in Mississauga. I just think him as a person was awesome. I think the perseverance of winning that first gold medal, but then not winning one again, sort of just speaks to. That that career path as an athlete, never knowing when you're gonna reach that pinnacle of of your of your sport again, you know, after winning a gold medal so so young in his career. So I thought that was that was awesome just to hear that perspective from him. And to hear about his relationships, such a successful golden hockey couple of Canada, yeah. you know, he's really happy now and yeah. he's giving back so much. And as a right to play athlete, there's just so much he's doing in terms of sport and hockey and women's sport with his wife and I'm just really excited that we had this conversation and I'm glad everyone else gets to hear it too. That's it from us today. I'm Michael. I'm Lala. And it's your boy, Jonas. And this has been Foundations for Opportunity. We loved having Billy Bridges on the Foundations for Opportunity podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at BillyBridges18. And if you want to follow us at Foundations for Opportunity, you can find us on YouTube, Foundations for Opportunity, and on Instagram and Twitter, at FFO Productions.